Let's jump into the Word of God this morning. We are closing out this series in the book of Galatians. And uh, we are in chapter 5 this morning. We're going to actually do chapter 5, the whole thing, and then a little bit of chapter 6 this morning because they're kind of uh, related to each other. And so um, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, or if you want to follow along on the screen. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, uh, and there, there are some black hardback Bibles in the seat pockets in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, take one of those. That's our gift to you. We want you to have it. If you know somebody that needs a Bible, you can take one of those and give it to them. We want people to have the Word of God. And so uh, let that be a blessing to you as well. All right. Um, Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to quickly move through these first five verses. And I just want to recap what's been going on in this book, Paul has been addressing um, this idea of um, kind of this religious mentality, and specifically with the issue in his day of circumcision. There were people who were the Judaizers, and they were people who wanted to kind of combine um, the old way, the old covenant with the new covenant into some hybrid thing. And, And Paul is saying, no, you can't do that. It's either all Jesus or no Jesus. And uh, he uses a lot of strong language to communicate that idea. And he's going to hammer it home one last time in the first part of this chapter before he starts talking about what it looks like to be a mature believer in Christ, what it means to be led by the Spirit. And so he says in Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, I know you're thinking that right now, and you're thinking Mel Gibson in Braveheart, right? Have you seen that movie? They'll never take our freedom, right? Um, now, <laughs> let's look at this in context, though. Um, when we're talking about freedom that, that Paul is addressing here, he's not talking about freedom from the government or freedom even from uh, Slavery. He's talking about freedom from religion, essentially. He's talking about freedom from these uh, lies that were being spread, that were putting people under an obligation that God never intended them to fulfill. And he's saying if you add anything to the gospel, if you put additional chains on yourself voluntarily, then you're no longer under the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, In fact, Paul is really clear in Romans 13 and in 1 Timothy 2, and Peter says similar things in in 1 Peter chapter 2, that our role is actually to submit to governing authorities to make every effort to live peaceful lives. So this is not calling us to rebellion, right? It's calling us to freedom in Christ. It's calling us to acknowledge that God's grace is sufficient for everything that we need, that his love has set us free from the condemnation of sin. And there's nothing that you or I can do to add to that or to earn it at all. And when we understand that, then everything else falls into place. Um, And as I said, Paul was was talking about specifically circumcision in this instance because that was the issue that he was addressing at this time. In fact, he goes on to say that if you accept circumcision, then you're responsible for keeping the whole law, right? You've been severed from Christ and you've fallen away from grace. That's what he says. If, if you put that burden, burden on 
other believers, then you've fallen away from grace. Listen, I believe that you can lose your salvation. I think that scripture is clear about that in a couple of places, this being one of the key ones here. But here's the thing. You don't lose your salvation by, by sinning too badly. Okay, so if you, if you sin and get run over by a bus, that doesn't mean that you're going to hell, right? Paul says here that you fall from grace by rejecting grace. It's, it's falling from grace by placing your faith in something other than Jesus Christ. Now, um, the issue, like we said, is circumcision, but it wasn't really circumcision. In fact, Paul himself was circumcised. In verse 6, he says, this, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Pretty simple, right? Uh, in fact, he goes on for another couple of verses, and he ends the circumcision talk, and some of you are thinking, I'm so grateful for that. <laughs> he says in verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That's a direct quote from scripture. In other words, if you're so fond of circumcision, maybe you should just cut the whole thing off. I, it's in the Bible, okay? I'm not making this up here. I bet you didn't expect to hear that in church this morning, though. Right? So now Paul shifts gears, and, and this is where I want us to focus our attention this morning. Paul says in verse 13 that you were called to freedom, so don't give it up for anything also, that means you don't get to do whatever you want to do. Let, let's read it from verse 13. We'll pick it up there. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And, and this is probably the, whole, the key verse for understanding this entire book right here. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul spent the better half of four and a half chapters making sure that our faith is in Jesus. And now he's going to spend the last two chapters telling us what a life of faith looks like practically. And this is a very famous passage of scripture. And I want to do it justice. So I'm going to talk fast this morning because we've got a lot of things to go through and a lot of things to talk about. But if you have questions about this afterwards, you know, ask questions. In fact, go read it for yourself, study it yourself, see what, what other scholars say about this particular passage of scripture. Understanding this is, is critical to understanding what it means to live like a believer. You can send me an email if you want, not an angry email. I don't need any of those, but you can, you can send me an email, a nice one, okay? All right, uh, verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For if the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, so Paul is saying it, we're, we have freedom in Christ, right? He's, he's expressing that freedom and what that looks like. And it doesn't mean that you live however you want to live and just do what you want to do in every single moment and live for your flesh and, and do whatever makes you happy in that instance. That's not freedom at all. In fact, that's, that's bondage, right? That's an inability to do the right thing. So being led by the Spirit 
is not the same as following all the rules. Rather, it's surrendering yourself to the Spirit and letting that life in Christ determine our behavior as a result. Now, the works of the flesh, this is verse 19, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let's talk about some of these things. I think we need to understand what that means. Some of those words aren't necessarily um, words that we use today on a regular basis. And I actually went through word by word and did a a word study on each of these sins that that Paul lists here. And so we're going to go through and look at what it means. Um, The first one is sexual immorality. And the word that's used here is actually the Greek word porneia. Uh, That's where we get our word pornography from. Um, Now, in this instance, uh, most scholars believe that he was specifically referencing the practice of prostitution. Um, Pornography wasn't so much a thing as they didn't have, you know, photographs and video at that time. Uh, But in our world today, that translates to a pretty serious issue. How many would say that sexual immorality is running rampant in our world today, right? This This is a serious struggle. In fact, the Bible is clear that anything outside of marriage between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship, any sexual relationship outside of that is an ungodly one. And our world doesn't see it that way. Um, so this is, this is relevant to today. And it's not just prostitution, but it's sexual immorality as a whole is, is a major issue. Um, the next word is impurity. And this probably, again, has to do with sexual sin. Could refer to a number of different things, but in the context that we're reading it, it probably is talking about um, other sinful sexual practices. Um, Then the next word is sensuality. Now, what does that mean, sensuality? Um, This is the same word that Peter used in his letter. If you read uh, the, the book of 1 Peter, he uses this word sensuality to describe the sin that was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? There was a lot of debauchery that was happening in that city. There was um, homosexuality. There was bestiality. There was a number of different things that could fit under this category. And so Paul is saying all of that sexual immorality is sin and it's wrong and it's not to be part of the believer's life. And the next one he goes to is idolatry. And we think, oh, we got this one. We don't, nobody like has idols in their house anymore and is worshiping idols uh, except for the ones on the TV screen or on the cell phone, the people or the things that we worship, the things that we devote our attention to. In fact, I would say that idolatry is probably our greatest sin as a nation in this world today. Idolatry is when you elevate anything and you worship anything more than our creator, more than our savior, more than Jesus. And we don't do it consciously. We don't think, oh, I'm going to worship this person or this, 
this thing or this activity, but when you invest your time and energy into something other than Christ and you place that in a higher place because you value it more with your time, you invest more energy and effort into your, maybe it's making money, maybe it's uh, an activity that you love to do, maybe it's even your family. Did you know that your family can be an idol? Anything that you elevate to a level above your Lord and Savior and you invest more time and energy into that than into your relationship with him, it can easily become an idol. And idolatry is a serious issue facing uh, America today. It's just not as obvious as it maybe was 2,000 years ago. The next one is sorcery. Uh, This is the Greek word pharmakia. It's where we get our word pharmacy. And so here's what happens. Some Christians see that and they're like, see, all medicine is sorcery. Okay. Uh, first of all, that's, that's, that's not the way that you should interpret scripture. Okay. That's a bad interpretation. Uh, in fact, when we're talking about what they were talking about here and what, what our um, medicine maybe looks like today, um, those are two very different things. And that's why Bible scholars have looked at that word and translated it sorcery. And the reason um, those two words have, have kind of um, merged together is because um, Paul is talking about people who would maybe go and, and see a sorcerer or a witch or something like that, and they would make a potion or something like that as well that would um, ultimately uh, call evil spirits, and, and uh, it, was, it was witchcraft is what it was. And so that's what he's addressing here. This is not saying... I. If you're taking ibuprofen, you're just inviting the devil into your headache. Uh, no, that's not, that's not the point here. If you're taking blood pressure medication, like that, that's okay, right? But I do think you should be careful about what you put in your body, amen? Like we should honor the Lord with our body. Um, that's just not what Paul is necessarily addressing here. I think as a nation, we're over-medicated. I, I think specifically this area of mental health drugs, I know that there's a lot of people that have been helped maybe um, by those particular things, but, but we need to be careful about what we put into our body because our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be on guard with that as well. Next one is Enmity. Now, that's a word that we don't use that often, but it basically means hatred or hostility. Can I be honest about something? Uh, This is a problem in the church today. I know a lot of angry Christians. You know how I know you're angry? I see what you post on social media, right? Angry about politics, you're angry about culture, and your anger spills out in an ungodly way, right? You say things out of an attitude that's wrong, out of a heart that's wrong, and then it's hurtful what comes out of your mouth. We get mad at people when they don't act like believers, even though they're not believers, right? Patience and kindness and goodness is fruit of the Spirit. We'll get to that, okay? But um, anger is not, right? And so if you're angry all the time, that probably means that you need to focus your attention on something that will take your focus off of what you're angry about. Uh, strife, um, it's tied to that. It's um, when enmity or that hatred or that hostility that's in your mind becomes fighting, okay? And those are natural consequences. It starts out with anger and then it becomes strife. It becomes conflict. It becomes bitterness. Next one is jealousy. I think we all know what that means. It's a word that we're, we're familiar with. And then 
fits of anger. Uh, now, we have a term for that at our house. Uh, we call this a temper tantrum. And uh, we talk about it with our children. But can I be honest? When adults throw a temper tantrum, it's even less cute. Okay? And, and we are guilty of doing that. It's, it's embarrassing when we as adults are throwing grown-up temper tantrums. Right? Uh, rivalries. Now, that's an interesting one. Uh, this particular term is specific to the workplace or to the marketplace. So it's referencing your relationship with your coworkers or maybe even business to business. So uh, make sure that your practices are ethical and honorable and that you're honoring your coworkers, you're honoring the people that you're laboring with, that even... Um, other businesses that you're competing with that you're doing it in an honorable way. But it also tells us that sports rivalries are okay, okay? If you really study the Greek, it's okay that the Packers and Vikings don't like each other. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> skull, okay. <laughs> then the next one is dissensions. I'm just going to move on, okay? Dissensions. This is referring specifically, I believe, to the church. It's division within the church, Listen, it's okay to disagree with people in the church, right? Some of you are like, thank goodness, because I disagree with half the things you said this morning. No. <laughs> no, it's okay to disagree with people in the church as long as it's done in a biblical way, right? If you have an issue with someone, if you disagree with something someone says, then it's okay to go to them and say, hey, I think you're wrong on this, but do it in an honoring way, not trying to get everybody else to gang up on them and make them feel isolated or, or hurt them in some way because they disagree with you. When your objective is to get others on your side so you can win, that's a sinful attitude, all right? Then the next one is divisions. I believe that's related. Dissensions become divisions, right? When we allow dissension to creep up in our heart, then it becomes uh, us against them, and specifically in the church, that's a major issue, right? That's the reason why so many churches split. Uh, there, are, there are so many churches in our country that have been formed because people couldn't get along. And so they're like, forget you. I'm just going to start my own church, right? Guess what? We're all the church of Jesus Christ. So maybe we should learn how to work on our issues and learn how to work out our disagreements so that we don't have to just keep dividing and working against each other. Just a thought. I don't know, I'm going to throw it out there. All right, envy. Uh, this is similar to jealousy, um, but it takes it one step further. Right? Envy takes us from jealousy moving towards hatred of the person. So it's not only I want what you have, but I resent you for it because you have what you have. Next one is drunkenness. Uh, I want to address this because we all know what drunkenness is, but alcoholism is a real problem in our culture today. And you don't have to be blackout drunk to have a problem with alcohol. Can, can I make a suggestion? And, and this isn't like, this isn't any like great scriptural insight this morning. This is just my thoughts coming out of my mouth here, okay? If you're drinking for mental health reasons, if you're drinking because you need to relax or take the edge off, it's the only way that you can... Um, you can calm down after a hard day at work or something like that. Maybe you have a problem. Maybe you're using alcohol to alter your mood. And I know this isn't like a black and white thing. And, and the Bible 
clearly tells us that drunkenness is a sin, but where is that line and where does alcohol become something that we depend on rather than Christ to get us through our day? But it's something to think about, all right? That's, that's my only request there is that you think about it. Uh, the next word is orgies. And the Greek word here doesn't necessarily refer to sexual sin, although in the context that it's used, that's probably what it's talking about here. But uh, it's basically a binge party, all right? And anything that's um, done in excess, we're not talking about Thanksgiving dinner here. We're talking about um, immor- immorality as a celebration of that immorality. Uh, and then it says, and things like this. And then you're like, oh man, that's a long enough list right now. Now I've got to figure out, well, what else is like this that I'm doing wrong? In other words, Paul is saying this is not the extensive list of sinful practices. And if your conscience is telling you to stop doing something, then maybe you ought to stop. Maybe it's learning to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and allowing him to convict you of something that isn't right. That is not the easiest thing to do. Um, David in, in Psalms says, um, search my heart, O God. See if there is any wicked way in me. That's not an easy prayer to pray. To pray honestly. Like we can say it, but do we actually mean that? God, show me what is wrong in my heart so that I can change it. Ugh, I don't like that prayer. Right? That's a hard prayer to pray. But it's powerful. It's powerful if we allow the Holy Spirit, to speak to us in that way. It brings us into alignment with the heart of God and it gives us a path or a direction to go. Now, he goes on to say, if you're doing these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. (laughs) Okay, anybody in here been jealous before? Guess you're not saved, (laughs) right? I mean, like, Okay, if you read that and read it in, in that kind of very simplistic way, um, that, could be, that could be very nerve-wracking, right? That you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And, and maybe you haven't been a part of an orgy this past week or picked up a potion from your local witch doctor, but have you been jealous this week, right? Have you had a lustful thought? Jesus said, that's committing adultery in your heart, Have you been angry with a brother? Jesus said that's murder. Right? So maybe none of us are Christians. (laughs) Why would Paul say that, that, that after he just got done saying for four chapters that our works don't save us? Well, here's the truth. It's it's not our behavior that saves us. It's our behavior that demonstrates our position of being saved by his grace. And desiring to live a life that honors the Lord. It's not about following the right rituals. It's not about observing all the rules perfectly. It's about being fully surrendered to Christ. And so we read, those who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the word that's translated do here um, is the word prasontes, which comes from the root word proso. It's where we get our word practice. We're talking about practice. 
those of you who get that, Ben, you know, you get it at least. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a basketball reference. We're moving on. Okay. Um, no, the idea that Paul is trying to convey here is those who practice those sins. Not when you slip up or make a mistake. Not when you're even caught in sin and struggling with something that's a temptation. It's when you're willfully deciding, I'm not going to follow Christ. I'm going to do things the way that I want to do them. And I don't care what he has to say about it. That's the attitude that Paul is addressing here. I was uh, refing a basketball game. Uh, it was a preseason scrimmage at, at um, Bloomington Jefferson yesterday. And uh, I called a foul on a kid. He had grabbed the jersey of his opponent as he was turning around to shoot. So I called the foul and I heard the coach say, I, I didn't see what, what he did. And so I reported the fall, and then I came over and talked to the coach, and I'm like, uh, yeah, he just grabbed his jersey as he was turning around, and, and the coach smiled at me, and he's like, oh, yeah, I teach, them how to, I teach them to do that. We practice that. Now, he was just joking, but like that's, that's the principle that we're talking about here. You're doing something willfully, trying to get away with it, that your heart is at this point where you're so hardened, where you're saying, God, I don't care what your word says. I don't care what you've told me to do. I'm going to do it my way. And the consequences are as follows. What Paul is saying, well, that reveals your heart. It's not saying, oh, you've sinned too badly. Now God's grace isn't sufficient for you. No, God's grace is sufficient for every sin that you've ever committed. But if your heart is at that point where you're that hard, where you're not willing to surrender to Christ, then you really aren't a follower. And you really aren't a disciple. It's a revelation of what's inside of you. If you're willfully choosing to sin, it begs the question, are you truly surrendered to Christ? What's the most important thing in my life? Now, there's more to that, and we're going to touch on that in just a second in, in chapter 6, but I want to read this, these next couple of verses. You've probably heard this before. This is a famous verse, Galatians 5.22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, here's the deal. If you want to memorize a scripture verse, I would highly recommend Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Those, that's an important verse to know. You know why? Paul is giving us an outline of what it means to live by the Spirit. And if that's our calling, if that's what, what Jesus expects of us to live by the Spirit, then we ought to know what that looks like. In fact, our kids uh, who are a part of a Bible quiz, they all memorize that verse. And I bet you you can ask a bunch of our kids back in kids' ministry, hey, um, what are the fruit of the Spirit? And they can list them off for you. They're learning what it means to follow Christ and to live by the Spirit. Now, that's not an easy task, right? Um, all of these things uh, at times are very difficult. It's difficult to be loving when you're frustrated, when you're mad at somebody. It's difficult to have joy when things in your life aren't working out the way that you expect them to. It's difficult to have peace when it seems like every day everything's changing and everything's going wrong. It's difficult to have patience when everybody around you is annoying, right? <laughs> it's difficult to be kind and to be good and to be faithful 
when you feel like everything's against you. But that's what it means to be walking by the Spirit. Verse 24 goes on to say, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, all of the things that we just listed, all of the the messed up sins that are, are part of our life without Christ, that we choose to die to those things. That doesn't mean that we aren't still tempted by them. But it means that we're rejecting that as as something that we're pursuing and we're choosing to follow Christ instead. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul is saying if you want to honor the Lord, focus on the fruit of the Spirit rather than avoiding all the sins that we just read about. Have you heard the saying before, aim small, miss small? Right? Uh, it's, it's the idea that you pick a small target and then if you miss by a little bit, you still hit the bigger target. Um, the best way that I can think of to explain this is like when you're golfing, right? Um, and you line up and you're like, okay, just don't hit it in the water on this side and don't hit it in the trees on this side. Anywhere in between would be great. And if you, if you approach the shot with that idea, you're probably going to hit it in the trees in the water, Okay. Rather, what you want to do is pick a blade of grass 300 yards right in the middle of that fairway where you are trying to hit that ball. And if you miss it by six feet, you're still in great shape, right? And the same thing with our faith. If we pursue a life that is filled with the fruit of the Spirit, if we wake up every morning and say, God, teach me to be more loving, teach me to be more patient, teach me to be more kind, Listen, if you're struggling with anger, aim for kindness and gentleness. If you're struggling with being dishonest, aim for extreme goodness. Right? If you're plagued by worry, aim for the peace of God. Paul says we died to our flesh, we're crucified with Christ. And so we keep in step with the Spirit. That means it's not a one-time decision. It's not saying a prayer and placing your faith in Christ and now your life is great. No, it's, it's not even a weekly decision. It's not even a daily decision. It's moment by moment. In step with the Spirit. Every step that you take, being led by the Spirit. I could spend a ton of time on this. Uh, and you're probably thinking, please don't, because uh, uh, we need to watch some football today or something. But uh, in fact, I preached an entire series on these two verses a few years ago. But I want to just cover what chapter 6 talks about real quick as we close this morning. Uh, verse 1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word Share all good things with the one who teaches. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. And the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit, reap eternal life. 
And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Now, I'm not going to get into the details of exactly what Paul is saying here, but listen, if you're struggling with a particular sin, and you're caught up in that sin, that doesn't mean that you're not a Christian, but it also means that you can't just accept that sin and pretend like you're fine. So what Paul is saying here is if you're stuck in sin, you need help. And that's what the body of Christ is for. As you look around this room and the people that are sitting with you, they're here to come alongside you and encourage you. And many of them have walked the same path that you're maybe walking right now and struggled with the same issues that you're struggling with right now. And God's word is to help gently restore them. Okay, so it's, it's our responsibility as the church not just to point out the sin in people's lives, but to walk alongside them and help them find freedom from that sin as well. That's why James tells us to confess our sins to one another. Why? So that you may be healed. Paul is saying to bear one another's burdens. That's how you fulfill the law of Christ. He fulfilled the law of Moses for us but we fulfill the law of Christ by showing love to others. We read it earlier. The whole law is summed up in this simple command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're stuck or you know somebody who's stuck, don't beat them up. Restore them with a spirit of gentleness. And then finally, Paul makes it clear. Yeah, we want to honor God with our actions but we are the beneficiaries when we live by the Spirit. He's not just telling us to live by the Spirit because it honors him, which it does, and that's good. But it's to your benefit to live by the Spirit. Paul says if you sow, that's what you're going to reap as well. If you sow into your own flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow into your spirit... You're going to reap eternal life. Isn't that an amazing promise? So focus, aim small on the truth of God's word, on the fruit of the spirit. As we close on, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. and um, I just want to just give us an opportunity this morning to respond to this in our hearts. This is an, this is an inside conversation first, and then it results in outside action. And so if you're wrestling with something and you're going through a struggle this morning and, and the Holy Spirit, maybe even this morning, he's pointing something out in your life that isn't right. He's calling you, first of all, to repentance, to change that behavior. And in order to do that, it means you have to surrender to Christ and to lean on the people around you means you have to tell somebody. You have to maybe confess that sin to somebody else so that you can experience healing, so that you can experience the freedom that Christ wants for you. And the end result will be, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. I'm going to pray this morning, and I'm going to ask that you just open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Say, God, show me. Show me the area of my life that needs to change.
and help me to replace that sinful behavior with the fruit of your spirit instead. Heavenly Father, we know that you are good. And we know that your love for us is limitless. And God, we come before you this morning, a people that desperately need your help. We need your grace because we don't have what it takes on our own. We don't have anything to offer to you. But by your love and your mercy, you've called us and you've redeemed us to yourself. So God, we're trusting in that promise. Lord, as a church, we want to be people that are hungry for the deeper things of God. We don't want to just experience you on a surface level and and maybe understand some things about you, but God, we want to know you intimately. We're not satisfied with religion. We want relationship. We want everything that you have for us. So God, we humbly submit ourselves in this moment. Say, God, show me the areas of my heart that aren't right. And help me to live by your spirit instead. Help my life to be an expression of your love, of your hope, of your goodness. Lord, help me to be bold enough to ask for help when I need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand and worship the Lord?